Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Based on what I'm seeing from the Fed and the, the reaction to the market, it looks like the inflation trade may be a little more challenging now, now that we've gotten all-time highs. And provides unbiased answers. Now, short-term, you're going to have rallies like you've seen in the growth side uh, right now. But in general, that's what you're going to see is a general trend towards the value. Invest Talk. Over 32 million downloads and counting. I have a question about a company called Bristol-Myers Squibb, BMY. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, July 29th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. And I appreciate you tuning in this hour. And I'm going to do my best to help you take that next step uh, in your path towards financial independence, financial freedom, whatever you want to call it. It's feeling comfortable to do what you want to do, not what you have to do. And that means saving right. That means investing right. That means uh, spending right. And I'm going to do my best to help you with all three. And I'm going to operate this hour with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. So I'm talking about a, a market reports, a sector, a strategy, whatever it is, I will be presenting it all without bias. I'm just going to give you the facts as I see them in front of me with all my various data points that obviously uh, we pay for and we, we utilize in our own analysis when we, uh, we build portfolios. Uh, and I'm going to use my 20 plus years of investment experience as well in that perspective to bring it all together uh, into the pros and cons of, uh, of each investment, each strategy, and each style. So we're going to unpack all of this. I'm Justin Klein, I'm, and I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And when you do, you get to shape the show to your liking, and you can interact with us live during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, or if you're listening an hour after hours, which probably most of you are, you can leave a question on our Anytime Voice Bank. Either way, the number is always 888-99-CHART. That's 888-992-4278. So let's get to our first listener question now. Hey, Stephen, Justin. Uh, I just want to first off say thank you very much for your show. Learned a lot from it. I have a question about a company called Bristol-Myers Squibb, BMY. I'm thinking about purchasing some stock in this company. I think, one, it has a good business model. Two, it looks like the... Uh, technicals look strong, and three, it looks like there's value. So I was just curious, uh, just what's your thoughts on Bristol-Myers Squibb? Looking forward to hearing your answer on the podcast. Thank you. All right. This is Bristol-Myers Squibb. It is in, it's a drug manufacturer, and it also has biotech division as well. Uh, they focus mainly on immuno-oncology and it also has cardiovascular drugs, oncology drugs, immune disorders, uh, et cetera. So big, big company, $151 billion market cap. 
Trailing 12 months, they've done in the neighborhood of $45 billion in revenue. So that's a lot. <laughs> and currently yield about 2.8%. You're right, the chart is relatively strong, making a series of higher highs and higher lows. So that's good. Your momentum is waning a bit, though. Uh, so I will say that. So the technicals are good, but not fantastic. When it comes to valuation, enterprise value to EBIT is 235 that is near the high end of its range historically. historically. Historically, it tends to trade more in the mid to low teens. And now we're at 23 and a half. So uh, on that metric, it's a bit expensive. Also, if you look at enterprise value to revenue, that's trading at about 4.3. And historically, that trends to trade closer to 3. So from a multiple perspective, it is a bit expensive, uh, but its business prospects, uh, at least in the short term, are fine. Now, they do have some pressure uh, patent cliffs coming up, but they also have a decent pipeline as well. And that's the big thing with a lot of these drug companies. It's what is their pipeline as well as their uh, patent cliff coming up, meaning what drugs are going to suddenly have generic pressures competitive pressure so their margins will go down once the patents uh, expire. So that's a big factor uh, as well. Now, historically, their return on equity of the past decade is averaged somewhere in the low teens. So that's pretty good, but not fantastic for this type of company. So overall, I'm going to give this an okay. Uh, I, I, it's, it's fine technically. It's a bit overvalued from uh, historical metrics. And it's... It's just not a bargain. So, uh, and, and I don't love this particular space, especially with the pressure on the drug industry to lower prices, slow down uh, price increases, or sometimes reverse them. And uh, that's going to put pressure on names like Bristol Myers. So, risk versus reward is to me not that great here. I'd rather have other opportunities in the space. Now, my focus point today is. With rates, Fed rates held to near zero, what are your best moves? Now, the low interest rate environment will end at some point, and the catalyst could be increasing inflation. But we're going to talk about what the low rates can mean for you and what does it look like going forward. Also, there are pandemic winners and now losers, and so we're going to go over what trends are you seeing? We touched a bit on this yesterday with UPS and their poor earnings announcement. But there are other companies that are doing better uh, now that things are reopening and some are actually doing worse. So we're going to unpack that. And then Washington's oil lobby is pivoting on climate change. And what effects will this have on the industry as a whole? And then lastly, if we have time... Let's go to China, talk a little bit about China and what's happening over there and how that could impact markets. So that's what's on the docket for me today. But ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. That is most important each and every day. And that's why I encourage you to give us a call, 888-989-CHART. Now, let's check on the market today. Today, the S&P was up 18.5 points, a little less than half a percent. You had the NASDAQ. That was up 15 points, about point. Uh, 1% there, very modest move. After hours, you had Amazon down about 6% on earnings. So that's certainly going to weigh on the NASDAQ uh, tomorrow. 
Uh, you had gold and, and uh, silver up nicely today. You had a lot of the commodity space. Look at the DBC that was up uh, about a percent and a half, closed at its highest level. DBC is the Invesco Deutsche Bank Commodity Index Tracking Fund. So this is an ETF uh, that you can kind of give get a sense of the broad moves in the commodity space because it's so diversified. And that is now at a new high over the last 52 weeks. So that is an indicator that inflation is not going anywhere. This is not transitory, as they're saying. It's going to remain persistent, maybe not as high uh, because of the base effects, but it, it, you, it's still grinding higher. Uh, and so you had the dollar down uh, after the Fed meeting yesterday, and you had the 10-year kind of flat, uh, up about one basis point today. So really, you saw the growth side of the market underperform uh, pretty dramatically. If you head over to Morningstar, you can see that the value side, large cap growth was flat today. Small cap value was up 0.84%, mid cap value up 0.9%, large cap value up 0.58%. So most of the Gains in the market today were definitely on the value side uh, as the commodity space got a bit of a perk up uh, as well as financials. Those were up about 1% today. So uh, kind of a mixed bag, uh, up day, but very modest and weighted towards the value side of the market. Now we're heading into a break, but I invite you to call with your finance and investment questions right now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. So let's touch on one right now. Jeff from Woodland, California says, what are the odds of the Fed tapering bond and asset purchases in the next six months? I'm concerned about my REITs cutting the dividend because of the cost of borrowing increases narrowing the spread. I don't think that's going to have a material impact on REITs, uh, but you should consider these things. When you're investing in mortgage REITs, especially the volatility in short-term rates and in and, uh, and relation to long-term rates, that can have a material impact, especially when you have a flattening yield curve. And so uh, how much of an impact will that have on those short-term rates? Probably not a whole lot, uh, but it could have impact on those longer rates. Uh, so it depends what type of REITs you're talking about. This is a great example of how REITs uh, sectors are broad. Uh, you can kind of say industrials, but industrials have a lot of subsectors. Technology has a lot of subsectors from software to hardware. Uh, almost every sector has different subsectors where the, the growth of the economy, the inflation in the economy have different impacts. Interest rate policy has different impacts. And so you really need to understand the dynamics of their business model and their historic correlation to various market uh, indicators to really gain a sense of whether you should be worried or not. So when it comes to mortgage REITs, I would be a bit worried, but most REITs, probably not. Now here's another iTunes review question from Bandboxer. As the core position in IRA, what would a 
cap-weighted or an equal-weighted S&P 500 be more suitable? I always think a an equal-weighted over the long term is going to be much better because you're going to uh, you're going to get better performance from those smaller cap companies over time. Historically, those large cap companies, there's a lot more, a lot more room for them to go down and weigh on your returns as opposed to the smaller cap names. They have uh, more room to go up. Uh, and so there's better risk versus reward there. And longer term, small caps do better. So long-term time horizon, you'd rather be in the equal weight, especially right now, such uh, large weighting of those mega cap companies. Great questions, and thank you again for the review. Now let's squeeze in another caller question now. Yeah, this is Lewis from Seattle. I had a question on Amdocs, D-O-X. I was taking a look at it, and I like its earning growth, and it's great cash flow, and it's debt. That's it. Now, we're just wondering, what do you see the future for this company will be at? I look forward to your answer. Thank you. All right. This is Amdocs, and this is a company that we have invested for clients in the past. Did fairly well in it. No, not, no longer hold it. Uh, but they provide software and services to the communication, cable, and satellite industries. Uh, they are fairly large, $9.8 billion market cap about a 2% dividend yield. So it's have record earnings next year, up about 9% from this year's earnings, which are 7% higher than last year's earnings. So a a modest grower, not not a big growth company, but consistent and consistently uh, growing its business. And their historical historic profitability has been very solid. And that's one of the reasons why we like the name is, uh, or what we liked the name was because of that consistent return on equity in the mid to high teens. And they've been buying back shares. So uh, from, let's see, 187 million shares in 2011, now down to 131 million shares. So they've bought back about a third of the shares outstanding over that time. And and that's, uh, that's very good, very shareholder friendly. And they've been growing their dividend from 13 cents cents a share in 2012 to a dollar 34. So I like the company. Uh, it's been consolidating here. It had a tough earnings report back in March of this year, and it's been consolidating sideways. So actually, in a bearish manner overall. Uh, so let's look at the valuations, like the valuation metrics. Can't remember exactly why we sold it. If I'm, if uh, it's not on the top of my. Uh, tip of my tongue, but uh, historically, they've trade closer to about 10 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Now we're at 12. You know, I would be patient on it. This is a good company. Uh, Long term, I think you'll do very well because of that profitability, buying back shares, very shareholder friendly. Um, But I would say it's about valued to slightly overvalued, but I would keep it on my watch list at 65. Now we're at 77. 65 would be an area that I would love Amdocs. You listen to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. With all the changes we see happening in the market, you must keep your eye on the ball and not afford to backslide. So that's why we're here to help. So give us a call at 888 chart When you tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk podcast downloads, 
Let them know they can choose an episode that covers their topic of interest. For example, browse by episode title for potential questions and answers on 401ks, cryptocurrency, treasury yields, real estate investing, commentary on growth stocks, listener stock picks, and more. Download free anytime at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or investtalk.com. Now, my focus point today poses the question, with the Fed rates held near zero, what are your best moves? And this was this is on the heels of the Fed announcement yesterday, and they touched a bit on Inflation, and they believe will be transitory in some ways, and rising prices are brought on by both increasing demand but also supply constraints. And if this does remain, if it doesn't, if it isn't transitory, and what I talked about before with the the commodity basket continuing to reach new highs, uh, it, will, it will likely to remain relatively elevated. That could push. The Fed to taper bond bond purchases probably near the end of the year or early next year, uh, and, but the supply constraints are likely to be temporary. We know that that uh, these these issues work themselves out over the long term, uh, but demand is likely to stay, especially as the economy opens. I know everyone's talking about the Delta variant, and they use that as an excuse, as a wrinkle that could change their path towards Fed tapering. But I think that's unlikely. Uh, even the IMF said that there's a risk that inflation will prove to be more than just transitory. And they're pushing central banks to be a bit proactive in trying to heat off, head off some of the inflation. Obviously, the supply constraints, they can't really do a whole lot about. And they don't want to reduce demand too much uh, with their policies. Because remember, their instruments are very blunt. They're not very precise. So you try to do things like raise interest rates to quell demand, well, that could have a lasting impact and creates uh, broader issues. And we've seen that with the market volatility, et cetera. And that's really where they're at now. They're, they're, they're kind of tied to the wheel. They have to keep going with QE and loose policy. And this is good in the short term for a lot of people, those that are looking to refinance their home. Uh, maybe they have a HELOC. Credit card rates are down from a high of 17.8% this year to 16.16. Uh, interest rates on personal loans are down to 10.7% on average. Equity line of credits a 4.25. But the negatives are Savings are next to savings returns are next to nothing. The average savings account is only 0.06%. And clearly with inflation in four or five percent, and that's going to likely remain persistent, you're talking about negative real rates. And that pushes people out to find yields. And this is the start. This is the beginning of a long process of the Fed monetizing the debt, keeping interest rates negative, and that means you have to adjust. You have to adjust to this environment of higher than average inflation. They're running the playbook of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. If you can't see it, you're not paying attention. It's very, very obvious what they're doing. They've backed themselves into this corner, and so you have to invest in things that are going to give you better than inflation rate returns. Otherwise, you're going to lose out. 
what are good hedges against inflation? Obviously, commodities, precious metals, but equities. Equities, as long as inflation doesn't take off into the high single digits and into the double digits, equities tend to be good. But only certain types of equities. Not all equities are good. Commodity equities, consumer cyclicals typically are good. Financials, industrials. What areas are not so good when inflation is rising? Consumer staples, technology. Those are areas that tend to not be so good when inflation is persistently high. So this is how this is how you adjust to a world where the Fed and policymakers worldwide are going to keep those real rates negative for a long period of time. They they need to they need to inflate the debt away. They are not going to default on the debt nominally. That's what almost happened in 08. And they did everything in their power to not let that happen. So you need to be aware. You need to look forward. Invest in the wind, through the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. So many people look back. What happened last year in the 10 years? What happened in the last crisis? And they think that is the risk. And the reality is policymakers, they try to avoid the risks that they've felt and seen in the near past. And they take their eye off other types of risks, and they go in the opposite direction. And that's kind of where we're at now. Now we're heading into a break, but on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this question, can you save too much in a health savings account? HSA investors are attracted to the account's benefits, the ability to make pre-tax contributions, enjoy tax-free compounding, and take the money out tax-free to pay qualified healthcare expenses. We will look into this topic for you, at least Steve will tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne 
comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. As we move through summer, you'll want and need unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. You've come to the right place. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now let's touch on some changes that you're seeing in these earnings reports from companies. And what it's showing is that some big companies that did very well at the height of the COVID crisis are now reporting slower growth and saying consumers are reverting to pre-pandemic behaviors. I touched a bit yesterday on UPS and how their average daily shipping volumes in the second quarter fell 0.98, sorry, 0.8% globally and two, down 2.9% here in the U.S. versus a year ago. And... That means people are purchasing things like toilet paper and toothpaste in stores as opposed to online. So uh, clearly this is a trend that is very important for all types of, of sectors uh, that ship consumer goods. And this – because this was the first time quarterly shipping volume for UPS fell since early 2011. So you're talking about a decade. Now, the company reported a 15% jump in sales overall and higher profits, but it's because they were more selective about which customers it does business with, and they upped their prices. Now, 3M is another example, largest domestic producer of N95 masks. And as of January this year, when they ramped up production dramatically over the, that, that previous 10 months, they were running 2.5 billion masks at a run rate per year, four times higher than pre-pandemic levels. But they're now in the early process of starting to ramp down production. And U.S. companies across various sectors are dealing with higher commodity prices, higher transport prices, higher labor costs, as well as supply chain issues globally. And this has pushed many of these companies to increase their selling prices to try to offset some of these expenses. But for the most part, it's difficult. For most companies, they can't pass along all of the additional costs. For example, Kimberly Clark, 
they had earnings. Go back to let's look at their chart here. They had earnings in it's a two weeks ago. Was it last week? Let me pull this up here. Yeah, that was uh, about a week ago, two weeks, and it showed that their higher cost for things like toilet paper were not a were not able to be passed through to consumers fully, partially, but not fully. Shares of uh, Rickett Benneker, which is the largest producer globally of disinfectants, they had earnings and they were down 9% because they have the opposite effect, opposite of the base effects, opposite of uh, COVID, it's reopening. And you need to be aware of this with your portfolio and position accordingly. Don't let the COVID variant get you off kilter. Uh, it's going to be a minor thing. There will be different variants, uh, but overall, we're still on the path. It may be a slight hiccup. We might see more hiccups, but the path towards reopening is still intact. Don't don't think otherwise, unless there's some major shift uh, in indicators in the market, yield curve, commodities, uh, etc. And like I said, commodities are a new high that would not be happening if we were going to some uh, new shutdown or anything like that. That won't happen. Now let's tackle another iTunes review question. What are your thoughts on iRobot as a long-term hold? They have over 40% market share in a fast-growing industry, net cash, cash position, strong balance sheet, great profit margins. So let's take a look at that. IRBT is the symbol for everybody out there. So it's to make $3.12 this year, $5.10 next year, no dividend, uh, about a $2.5 billion market cap. And let me see what you're talking about there with the profitability because I always want to make sure and double-check those uh, those statements because there's a lot of – if you go to Yahoo Finance and other free sources for, for data, a lot of times those are unreliable. Now, iRobot over the last decade of turning equity in the low to, to mid-teens, so that's fairly solid – Positive free cash flow, and they've had positive free cash flow every year for the last decade. So I like that. Trailing 12 months, about $184 million in free cash flow, so that's good. Technically, it's just been pulling back here and consolidating, which I actually kind of like. I like that uh, from on the weekly basis. It's pulled back to its 50-week moving average. And I'm going to give this general thumbs up because of that consistent profitability. Uh, they don't have a lot of leverage or debt in their balance sheet, so that's a good thing. And if you look at enterprise value to EBITDA, 9.6 times, it's not that expensive. It's actually near the low end of its historical range. And I do think there's going to be increasing demand for robotics products. So I'm going to give iRobot a thumbs up. Now, we thank you for iTunes review questions. And of course, we value your phone calls as well. So don't think that uh, the, the only way to answer a question anymore is through iTunes reviews. If we go over there, great. We love it. But we also love your in-person calls as well. But here's another iTunes question. Unhinged My Heart says, thanks for educating us every day, Stephen Justin. What are your thoughts on Subaru? And can you please explain the difference between its tickers... F-I-J-H-Y and F-U-J-H-F. Off the top of my head, I do not know. I'd have to dig into that. A lot of times you'll see that where there's foreign businesses 
that are listed on multiple exchanges. So that's probably the difference here is that you're talking about foreign uh, shares just listed on different exchanges. Let me take a look here. Where is this? Is, yeah, I don't know the difference. Now, both of the charts pretty much look the same. $15 billion market cap. 2.65% dividend yield. The chart looks fine. I don't see anything wrong with that. The question is, how how much can they compete in this increasingly electric vehicle market? Their performance on the chart has been subpar. They're in a downtrend, uh, fairly illiquid, historically poor margins, and trading at low valuations, so that's that's the best thing I could say. It is relatively cheap, but I don't like the historical profitability. Return on equity over the last decade has uh, been in decline since 2016, so pre-COVID, and now is average over the last couple of years in the mid-single digits. So I just don't see a competitive advantage here. Uh, I think the brand is as a nice sub. Uh, sub niche of the market. I know there's a lot of loyal purchasers of Subaru products like my aunt, for example, who lives in New York. She loves Subarus and she's bought, she's bought a new Subaru every three to five years over the last 20 years. So, uh, she likes them, but I just don't see this as a great investment opportunity. I think there's better opportunities elsewhere. Now let's pivot back to the invest talk voice bank for a question from a listener in New Jersey. Hello guys. This is Raphael from Jersey. I love your show. been listening for years now. And I had a comment about growth versus value. I've listened to you guys for years talk about the growth stocks being uh, so highly priced and valued and to wait for that turn or watch for that turn. And, you know, we finally did see that turn. But my question is, based on what I'm seeing from the Fed and the, the reaction to the market, it looks like the inflation trade may be a little more challenging now, now that we've gotten all-time highs. The Fed just doesn't want to stop what it's doing. And I was listening to a, a recent show, and Justin, you seem to be under the impression that they're not going to stop their shenanigans either. So I guess what I'm saying is it looks to me like the market is starting to favor growth again. I want to get your opinion of it, but I'm starting to look at those high flyers again, selectively, of course, and wanted to get your opinion. I also love, absolutely love the semiconductors. Okay, guys, I'll be listening on your show. Thanks. Bye. Peak on growth to value ratio in the market back in September of last year. And that's really when interest rates started to bottom and, and rally. Uh, but you've had interest rates fall back over the past few months, and that has helped the growth side of the market rally. So you are correct uh, in, in that sense. Uh, but you have to look at, and yes, the, the Fed is likely to continue to keep interest rates relatively low. Uh, but I don't think there's a lot of downside for interest rates. I just think they're going to meander here uh, for a long period of time, and there'll be negative real rates that will fluctuate. But overall, rates will stay relatively low. Uh, and then when it comes to what part of the markets are going to be more attractive, though, and it's going to uh, – what, the, what they're going to try to do is allow governments to spend and borrow and inflate away the debt through that spending. And, and the idea is that that spending would be productive for the economy and grow the economy more than the cost of uh, the, the growth of the debt 
overall. So that's kind of the general plan. Whether they'll be successful or not is another story. We'll see. Uh, but that's the general plan. What that's going to do is going to drive money into the real economy and demand for a lot more goods and services, either through just money in people's pockets or infrastructure spending that requires a lot of materials. And so that is really where the, the better growth on that side will start to improve uh, dramatically. And those will suddenly become uh, the growth stocks. Just look at a lot of the commodity names and the type of growth and earnings that you've seen over the past few quarters. It is much better than a lot of the, the tech names. And so you're going to see a shift there. Uh, and then the dollar, the dollar is likely to be that, that, that release valve of where interest rates remain negative, remain uh, real interest rates remain negative, and nominal rates stay relatively low. And in that environment, even if interest rates aren't going down, uh, they're, they're staying relatively steady. So they're not going down, which typically helps growth stocks. Uh, and the dollar is likely to go lower over the, the medium to long term. Now, short term, you're going to have rallies just like you've seen in the growth side uh, right now. But in general, that's what you're going to see is a general trend towards the value. Always there's going to be counter trend rallies and sell offs, etc. And you should expect that you should understand there's ebbs and flows always and those are never going to change. But you have to get the kind of general trend right. And that remains our view. So hopefully I unpacked that well enough for all of you and would love to hear any more questions. And thank you again for the voice bank call. We love those. Now, in most parts of the countries, you don't have to look at the calendar to know that summer is here. Listeners in St. Louis, Missouri, well, it's 99 degrees today. Medford, Oregon, 102. So summer is well underway and we're now well into the third quarter. Just a couple of more days left. Actually, one more trading day in the month of July. When we open on Monday, it's going to be August. And August is likely to bring a bit more volatility and you need to be prepared to handle these type of circumstances. And your portfolio has to be able to handle it as well. So if you need help unpacking the risk versus reward within your portfolio, how that may impact your goals, please reach out to myself, or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do here on Invest Talk, which is independent thinking and shared success. We provide unbiased guidance and practice parallel investing where we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take us up on our free portfolio review assessment offer via telephone or go to meetings. Just send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP Financial offices in Irvine, California at 800 557 5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, a caller question from Idaho. Hang on. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. 
Hi, this is Dan from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I bought Big Five at about 15 on your excellent advice in your newsletter. Now I'm thinking of selling it, and I'd just like to get your idea on a target price for selling it. I heard another caller who talked about Joanna, J-O-A-N. Justin really liked that stock, so I was thinking about moving the money over there. Thank you very much, and I'll listen like always. All right, looking at Big Five, and you kind of know my stance on Joanna, so I don't really need to go over that. But Big Five is now trading at 2251. It's had a nice pullback here over the last couple of months, hit 36, 37 and change just uh, in early June. So it's had a very, very nice pullback since into some major support. So this wouldn't be a good area for me to unload it, that's for sure. But back or in the mid-30s, I think that is an area where uh, it would be more fairly valued and I would maybe trim uh, or eliminate some of uh, the position in order to move that over to uh, Joanna because uh, Joanna is consolidating but doesn't look like it's ready to, to do a whole lot in the, the short term. So I would be a holder on Big Five. Uh, I still think it's a good business. There's definitely kind of those headwinds of the reopening and less people uh, going outdoors and needing supplies from a specialty retailer like Big Five, which sells a lot of outdoor uh, camping equipment, hunting, fishing, etc. So there was, there's definitely that, that tailwind. But they're also under new management, and I think that over the longer term is uh, the bigger catalyst, that they are now going to be better run, hopefully, uh, than they have in the past, because historically, they've been a terribly run organization. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hi, my name is Adrian. I'm a young, young man, and I just created a portfolio and I opened an account. I've been researching and looking into different types of stocks. I've been looking at the market and kind of looking at a lot of different things, focusing on the history of certain stocks, how they act in the market. And I was looking at Johnson & Johnson. I was just curious on your opinion on if Johnson & Johnson is a good investment to make. Thank you. Are you looking at Johnson & Johnson and... I don't think I need to tell everybody what Johnson & Johnson does, but what I can say about their business is this is the bluest of blue chip companies. If you're just looking for a, a company that you can put away in the drawer, uh, Steve says this all the time, it's like you can put this in the drawer and not look at it and 10 years later, uh, it, will, it will be there uh, and you'll do well. Uh, Johnson & Johnson is a perfect example of that. I, I think it's probably the best example in the marketplace because of their suite of different products and and uh, diverse uh, footprint across the world, uh, it, their consistent profitability, return on equity in the low 20% range for the last decade plus. 
just a history of uh, raising their dividend. They paid $2.25 a share in 2011, now $4.04 a share. It's $172 stock, so a solid 2.5% dividend yield. It is, once again, the bluest of blue chip companies. So if that's what you're looking for, this is the one. You're not, it's not going to be exciting. Uh, the revenue growth, the pre-COVID was low single digits. But they almost increased their earnings every single year. And they're expected to make an all-time high of $10.48 a share. Next year, it's got a forward PE of roughly 17 times. That's not that expensive, especially in a market like this. So I'm going to give Johnson & Johnson a thumbs up, especially for a new investor who can make a lot of mistakes. It's hard to make a mistake with Johnson & Johnson. Now I want to touch on the oil industry and some changes in Washington. Now the American Petroleum Institute is one of Washington's biggest lobbying groups and it lobbies on behalf of the oil and gas industry and it's been around for decades. And what's interesting about some recent changes is that they are now leaning in to the climate revolution. They typically would fight almost every green initiative that was going through Congress. But in March, the group did an about-face, and they released what it's called its Climate Action Framework and its new policies to lower emissions and support cleaner fuels. The main, few, main two things that they proposed were more regulation on methane, a greenhouse gas that often leaks from oil and gas operations, and a price on carbon on all carbon dioxide emission products. Now, Congress is going through the machinations of spending a bunch of money like they normally do. And now a bunch, instead of tens of billions, it's trillions of dollars. Uh, and they're talking about taking, uh, having a levy uh, on oil and gas companies that would pay for wind and solar projects for utilities. And this is a giant shift. And it's such a big shift that uh, certain members have started to leave. In fact, Total Energies of France canceled its membership in January. Giants like Royal Dutch Shell, BP, Exxon, they have demanded that this lobbying group pivot more to carbon, uh, more from carbon-intensive fuels and embrace more regulation, which is a complete about-face for the last multi-decades. In fact, this organization is almost a century old and has 600 different members. And this is a massive shift. And it's a massive shift because this is going to have a large impact on supply of oil and natural gas. And this is why I think oil prices are going to continue to go up because there's not that investment in new supply that will replenish the usage of the fossil fuels in the near term. And I think it's now kind of accepted within the powers that be that the best way to get to a green future is to just to let oil prices go up, make it uneconomical to utilize your car and make it cheaper to transition to electric. And that's what I see uh, for the future. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can get anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and always investtalk.com. 
And be sure to rate and review. And if you leave a question in your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.